Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. guys welcome back to the equipping and grace podcast my name is dave and i'm the host for this show and with me today is jonathan pennington jonathan welcome to the equipping and grace podcast brother hey thanks for having me on here yeah it's great um i've read a couple of your books uh i think reading the gospels wisely mm-hmm. and thought that that was really good and then you know great. we're going to talk about your your latest book here today so excited about that can you, you. uh yeah absolutely can you uh Tell us a little bit about yourself, your life, marriage, ministry, and any ministry projects that you're working on. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I have been married to my wife, Tracy, for 30 years, uh, just 30 years this January. We have six kids, uh, age 18 to 26, and all but one of them live in town. We spend a lot of time together, enjoy each other a lot. Um, very thankful for that. Uh, we've lived a number of places, but for our kids, they've basically, basically grown up here in Louisville, where I am. Uh, for the last 18 plus years, I've been a professor at Southern and New Testament. And I've also for uh, 25 years or so in various capacities, been a pastor, worship pastor, other various things. And currently I am one of the the lead teaching pastors and leaders of a bunch of stuff at Sojourn East here in town. So that's a big part of my life, actually. And also uh, travel around a lot and speak in a lot of churches, especially I go to a lot of um, churches that have like theological institutes. So I do a lot of like theological education in the church, which I love. And this book that we're going to be talking about is, you know, kind of related to that, to kind of write a book to uh, help people in church, regular people, you know, be better readers of the Bible. But mm-hmm. yeah, so I don't know if that answers all your questions. Big soccer fan. We can talk about other things yeah. too, but uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, whatever you like. Really- that's really great. I, I think that there's a huge need in the church for books that are accessible to the average Christian. So uh, I'm thankful that you're committed to that. And uh, I am. To Thanks. The average layperson. Me too, by the way. It's great. So, uh, yeah. Can you uh, tell us about this uh, new book? It'll come and see the journey of knowing God through scripture. Tell us, you know, you told us a little bit about why you wrote it, maybe a little bit more and, you know, sure. how you hope it'll be received. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's been a great joy over the last many years to be able to work on a lot of different book projects. Um, all of them are passion projects, really. They're they're things that are um, ideas I care about. I teach the Gospels mainly, and so again, it's a great privilege to get to teach the Bible all the time, and also to be a pastor. But I, you know, I live in these two different worlds um, of the academic world and the pastoral world and function and love both of those worlds. But I've been trying over the last recent years to write books that are really, uh, you know, more on the church side, but using my, you know, gifts and opportunities I've had as a scholar. And this book is really right on the heart of one of the most important things, which is how do you read the Bible well? And, you know, there's a lot of great books out there on how to read the Bible. I mean, there's been people writing books about how to read the Bible for a long time. I always joke, you know, Augustine, St. Augustine had a thousand year bestseller, you know, which is called on Christian teaching or on Christian doctrine. So it's definitely a crowded market, you know, it's been out there, but I think what, um, 
well, what what my desire for this book is, and maybe we'll you'll probably want to ask me some more specific questions, but I'll keep it general now, is to invite people, you know, come and see as an intentionally invitational language and the subtitle, The Journey of Knowing God Through Scripture. It's an invitation um, based on what the Bible itself does, invites us, as we can talk about more if you'd like, but invites us to think about the role that the Bible plays in the lifelong journey of not just knowing more about God and not just learning a bunch of facts and not just learning a bunch of morals, but actually um, coming to go know God more clearly and more fully and more personally, which we can do through a lot of means. I mean, nature testifies to God's goodness. Relationships testify to God's goodness. Um, people disciple us and mentor us. But the Bible, of course, is the most important. It's the clearest and the strongest and the uh, the most important source for knowing God. So this book is a short book. Um, I think it's short, <laughs> um, 130 pages, something that is just kind of trying to unpack that invitation from God to use Holy Scripture in a way that enables us to come to know him more. Yeah, you were, you were mentioning the adventure aspect of things. Why do you think that's important that we view the the Bible in in that way? How does that, how does that help the average Christian? Yeah. A journey or an adventure. Yeah. I, you know, and again, it's not a unique metaphor. It's one you see in the Bible itself, the idea of um, following in the ways of the Lord, right. The way of the Lord, or think of Psalm one, the path of meditating on God's word versus the path of destruction that comes from foolish influences. And of course, in the new Testament, you know, Jesus, it's literally come and follow, you know, and the title of the book comes right from John chapter one. Well, a lot of places. I love the psalm that says, you know, come uh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's an invitation to journey. But Jesus, particularly in, is calling people to follow, to be a disciple really means to be a learner that um, who gives his or her life to walking in the ways of Jesus. Right. And so that is biblical, you know, it's a big biblical idea, but I think it's also a really helpful one to think about our life as a long and winding journey of knowing God, rather than thinking about our relationship with God as like acquisition mm. of knowledge. And unfortunately, sometimes that's how we think about knowing, like, I didn't know something, now I acquired that knowledge, rather than thinking about knowing in the deeper biblical sense of a lifelong um, deepening intimacy, a deepening experience, a deepening um, acquaintance and wisdom uh, that is going to have some dry spells and it's going to have some mountaintop experiences and some deserts and some uh, twists and turns and losses and griefs and joys. And so I think this motif of a journey is a really helpful way to think about the long game of of the Bible's role in our lives and in our faith. Yeah, that's really good. And, and that kind of also, I think another thing that that does, is it takes us past this idea of checklist, mm, you know, just yeah. do this because you're going to get this kind of mentality. Or God and said lot, so, you know, you know, yeah, deal with it. God said so or something yeah, rather yeah, than a relationship, you know. Yeah. And a lot of people struggle with that. And I think that's why a lot of people view the Bible as, mm. you know, in a legalistic kind of way where, Oh, I have to read my Bible. Well, I yeah. mean, you get to read your Bible. It's a, a Psalm one you mentioned. It's a he talks about the the law of the Lord as a delight, you mm -hmm. know, for the godly. It's a regular habitual. It's to be a regular habitual pattern of our lives. Is this point there? And I think 
what that does, what you're talking about, I think it does is for the Christian, it, it helps them to see that, that necessity. Like, I like to think of it, like reading the Bible and doing those things and using the means of grace is like, we need it. Like we need food and water and sleep. Mm -hmm. It's that level of, it's a necessity for our lives, mm -hmm. you know, and, and we get it, like you said, it's a journey. It's, it's something that you, we get to enjoy. Um, it's not like something that you're just checking off as in mm -hmm. your duty bound to do it. I mean, it is a duty, but it's also even greater. It's a delight. Yeah. There's something I always say to my church and to my kids, you know, there's that beauty is better than duty in the sense that what, you know, duty has a place as we're learning, you know, as children, but even as adults, there's habits that shape us in a good way. There are things that we should clearly do and not do. But duty is never going to be enough to really motivate us, especially in difficult times, and to motivate us to the largest and most beautiful ways. It's beauty. It's the seeing God and coming and tasting and seeing. You know, the, the psalm doesn't say, come and follow God or else he'll strike you or something. It's yeah. come and taste and see that the Lord is good. And that's really the ultimate motivation for why we do, what, you know, seeking the Lord. But, you know, the, the other part of the journey uh, part of the book that I didn't say anything about yet is um, you're aware since you looked at it is that I'm also using it uh, with the idea of a road trip, you know, and I start the book by talking about how, you know, how great a road trip is like a, a road trip with friends is hard. It's hard to imagine much better, you know, people you love, whether it's your family or friends and you're going on a journey and, you know, it's an adventure. There is, there's something that happens in those times, and especially the longer the trip in some ways up to a limit, <laughs> you know, there's, there's great things that happen. And so the, the kind of the structure of the book, as you know, is all built on this road trip kind of idea with three different friends who love each other, but are very different. And they are on this long journey of knowing God through Holy scripture. And so they each offer uh, a different kind of aspect of driving or, or different segment of the trip they're in charge of. And, you know, the rule that my friends have always had is whoever's driving gets to be in charge of the, you know, the radio or the podcast or the music. And so uh, that's the kind of whole idea of the book that the journey part of it is these three friends who love each other and are very different from each other are going on a trip together and they each bring something to the journey. And that's kind of a big part of the book as well. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to touch on the particular points that each uh, three, you know, kind of learn and and then why that's important for the, you know, the average Christian? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so I have three friends and I give them names, of course, which is good. I don't know why I chose these names except for the third one. So people have been asking me, I'm like, I don't know, I should have thought through this more, but uh, except for the alliteration, as you'll see. So the first person is Ingrid, um, who, when she's behind the wheel, um, and she's good as the first driver. Uh, when she's behind the wheel, she really emphasizes what I call an informational kind of reading. So she focuses on, you know, historical background. And for those who can maybe read Greek or Hebrew, but that's not necessary. It's more like historical background and how to read stories and, you know, what the difference between like reading a proverb and reading a story is, um, how to analyze a a, a text of scripture, like following the flow of the argument or following the flow of the story, paying attention to literary structure, nothing really surprising, although there are skills that we can get better at. 
you know, and this is a seminary does, but you don't have to go to seminary to learn all these things. You can, anyone can learn to be a better informational reader by just learning a few skills. So the first part of the book is just kind of unpacking and I give some examples and then give some exercises. I call them, you know, take your turn at the wheel, you know, so we kept the motif going, but uh, the idea. So, you know, Ingrid again provides a kind of focus on the fancy word for it is exegesis, but basically just you know, paying close attention to the Bible because God is speaking and, you know, we honor him by trying to understand what he's saying. Yeah. And this kind of informational, these informational skills that we can develop are the, are the first kind of stage of the journey. Yeah, that's really good. I, I think that, you know, I really, I really appreciated, you know, this aspect of the book, the, the relational connection, but also the connection between engaging the Bible, not just, you know, relationally for information or any of that, but just like the relational component of it and how you weave the theology in, in the, the points about, you know, in biblical interpretation. Uh, it's, it's really powerful and it's really, um, it's really engaging for the reader. It's, uh, it's really interesting. It. Thank yeah, you. It's, it's really good. And and I would just say, you know, even for the seminary student or for the pastor, you're going to get something out of this too. Even if it's just a reminder to use those, use those skills and those tools, mm -hmm. that you, you know, like I'm seminary educated myself and it's always good to have a reminder for sure. Refresher. And so, <laughs> you know, we, we, we forget, you know, you read a lot totally. of books and so <laughs> you forget and it's, it's good to go back to the basics. So even, even for somebody that, you know, they don't know these things. That's great. Um, you're going to learn. But even for somebody that, that already knows things, you're going to get a refresher course. And I think that's really helpful. So. Yeah. And I'm so good. Yeah. I'd, I'd say a lot of the stuff that Ingrid provides, this first driver, this first friend, is a lot of the stuff you'll get in seminary today. But again, you don't have to go to seminary to be a good reader of the Bible. That's the point. And I'm trying to kind of, yeah. you know, put these things, make them clear and kind of focus on the the most beneficial things. So you want me to go on to the second person? Is yeah, 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 please, okay, please, yeah. Yeah. So the second friend that gets, you know, so Ingrid's driven a long ways and it's time for somebody else to take a turn. And the second friend is Tom. And Tom is going to focus on a more theological reading, um, which, yeah, you know, I don't know what your listeners might think that means. Um, I know as a pastor myself that that part of reading, um, nobody's opposed to, but maybe it's not real clear what that means to give a theological reading of the Bible. It may sound like, well, of course, but but what a theological reading of the Bible means is that we, it needs a number of things. So one is that we're aware that there are, you know, people for 2000 years that have thought a lot about the Bible and they have written and organized the teachings of the Bible into categories that help us then go back and read the Bible with a certain set of ideas. Um, and one of those big worlds of that is called systematic theology, which just means, you know, people that have said, okay, um, what if we ask a particular question like, what's the nature of God? Or, um, you know, who or, or what is going to happen in the end of times, you know, the end days or something. You can't just go to one Bible verse to get those things. You can't just go to one Bible book to get those things. You need people skilled and called and gifted by God to think about the whole Bible and then kind of give us versions of thinking about, or give us um, ways of thinking about what the Bible teaches on a particular topic. So we call that systematic theology. And the point of Tom in this part of the trip is just to say, hey, you know, those 
the Bible is the most important thing, but we really do need the help of those theologians who have wrestled for years and years and years and debated with each other and dug into scripture to take what they've given us and go back to the Bible. And maybe we'll disagree at some points. Maybe we'll say the Bible is different, but we really should start with the humility to say, you know, there are theological ideas that help us read the Bible well, because it's really easy to read the Bible wrongly <laughs> too, you know? So, so systematic theology is one category. Another category would be what's called biblical theology, which is where you kind of, it means a lot of different things actually, but the way we use it a lot is you kind of bring, you trace themes or ideas from the beginning to the end of scripture, like the idea of temple. And like, you think about how that appears in Genesis and all the way through to Revelation or something. Um, but there's another set of things that Tom provides for us in our good reading of the Bible. And that is what we could call a creedal or confessional reading. And that is that, you know, for the, as long as the church has been around, they have articulated what the true teachings of scripture are in the form of creeds, like the apostles creed or the Nicene creed or the, the symbol of Chalcedon, or then later, if listeners who might be more familiar with the reformation, it might be like the Heidelberg catechism or the Westminster catechism. Mm -hmm. And if all those still sound really foreign, <laughs> um, then maybe it's just as simple as what we call it a church, a doctrinal statement. You know, every, I think most churches are going to have like a doctrinal statement that says here, here's what we think the Bible teaches. And that's a really important thing to see on a church's website or on their constitution or something. Cause that tells you a lot about what a church believes. Well, the point of all of this is that's a really important part of reading the Bible. That's not separate from reading the Bible. On the journey of knowing God through Scripture, we need the help of Tom. We need the help of theologians who help us think and see thoughts and ways to read the Bible that are bigger than ourselves. And so, you know, I, I think, I don't know, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I think that's probably the area where we're probably the weakest in our church traditions. Like we're not opposed to those ideas, but we don't really know how those fit together with the Bible. And what I'm trying to do in this book is kind of give some examples of how Tom provides help in, in reading the Bible that way. So what's your thought on that? Yeah, well, I think that, you know, as, as we both know, I think that when people think of theology or tradition in general, they think, oh, well, that's Catholic. And mm. so I, I need to avoid that as a Protestant with everything in my being. But we forget that the Reformers and the Puritans and all those guys, they were just going back to the tradition. That and they wrote the their church. own statements. They all wrote doctrinal statements or creeds or confessions it, as well. Yeah, yep. but they didn't do it above Scripture. They were Scripture, you know, sola scriptura. They were yep. Scripture first, Scripture alone. And so everything is First uh, Thessalonians 5.21. They tested all things and mm -hmm. how fast it was good. They were like the Bereans in Acts 17.11. They searched the Scriptures to see if these things were so. And then... That's first Thessalonians. And then they pass down traditions, though. The New Testament yeah. says a lot. Yeah. Paul says, yeah. remember what we've taught you and pass that down, you know? Yeah. So, so we're not yeah. anti-tradition. We're actually tradition in its right place. Mm -hmm. Bible first and then tradition. Yeah. And so. Yeah. yeah. So that's Tom's point. It's just to kind of explore that and help us see that. But there's one more leg of the journey. It's a long trip, <laughs> like I said. And right. also one that we, we need. And the point is we need all three of these. And the third one is Taylor. Um, and what Taylor provides for us is using alliteration again as a transformational reading. And so what I talk about in this portion of the book again is yeah, like, what's really the goal of reading the Bible? It's kind of something we started talking about. And I think the simplest way to say it is the goal of reading the Bible is not to know more about God, but it's actually to know God himself. And another way of saying that is to ask, as Augustine, who I mentioned before, 
said, like, what's, what does, um, let's ask, what does Jesus say the, the most important thing is about the Bible and to understanding God's word? And it's very clear. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second Jesus offers is like it and not to be ignored either, to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, St. Augustine takes this and says, okay, that's super helpful. And we need to think about that in terms of interpreting the Bible. So in other words, if the greatest goal, the greatest commandment is to love God, and then the second like it is to love others, then whatever else we get from the Bible, knowledge, information, facts, inspiration, encouragement, those are all great things. The best reading of the Bible is one that is going to result in a greater love for God and a greater love for neighbor. So those are really important goals, right? Mm -hmm. And so Taylor, when she's behind the wheel, she's in charge of the podcasts and the music. She's always saying, Hey, that informational reading is great. That theological reading is great, but we're not done. We have not reached the journey. If we don't ask those very personal and practical questions of Mm -hmm. how does this actually transform my life? Because that's the goal of the Bible. And so I also talk in that section about what's the role of the Holy Spirit in the Bible, right? Can anybody just read the Bible and get the same things out of it? Well, it's some some degree, yeah, anybody can read and study the Bible in the kind of informational way and maybe even in the theological way. But to really read the Bible as a Christian does require that the Holy Spirit is in us and moving through us and illuminating, like opening the eyes of our hearts to see uh, and and to follow him. So there's other things I talk about in that. But my point in, in that, just to emphasize this, is that, again, just like we can kind of ignore the Tom theological part, I think a lot of times we think of application as kind of separate from our reading the Bible. We think like, okay, when I study the Bible, um, I'm doing the hard work of exegesis, and then I might bring in some theology, and then... Mm-hmm you know, transformation is like an extra thing added on. But my point in the whole metaphor, the whole image of the journey is that all three of these friends are necessary. Like we cannot lose any of them. We're, we're going to have a a wobbly and pear-shaped kind of reading the Bible, a, a reading the Bible with a, a bridge that's out on the journey if we neglect any of these aspects. Um, you know, if we don't read informationally and we just kind of make the text mean whatever we mean, that's bad. If we read it informationally and transformatively, but like don't pay attention to the history of the church and how they've helped us understand it. Well, that's how you start a cult. <laughs> and yep. and if you can, if you read it, say, you know, informationally and theologically, but never transform it, then guess what? You can also be a Pharisee. You know, I mean, Amen. this is the thing. You could be a super smart Pharisee. And most of the Pharisees are very smart, you know. And so the whole point is all three of these are necessary. We can't neglect any of them. And I'm just trying to offer a vision, invite people to say, hey, let's think about what all, you know, all these friends provide. And let's let's lean into and embrace all these aspects of our Bible reading. That's really good. Really good. Which which of these three friends do you most identify with? That's a great question. Uh, <laughs> oh boy, I don't know. I probably, I probably I balance them all. The, yeah, you, you win, you no, win, yes. you win. I probably struggle with the transformation one. I, I, I remember when um, this was about eight, maybe eight, seven or eight years ago. Uh, this, this pastor that I had in Idaho, and we were living there. He said to me, "Now, now, Dave, remember that this is this Bible study is not a lecture." Yeah, right. This is this is not just to relay content and information. It's to help people. 
Yeah, yeah when it's I a taste and see God's goodness. Yeah, yeah. When right. I when I think about that, that that really has kind of helped me not just not just to be focused on the sound doctrine aspect of it, but really, yeah. You no, know, Edwards Edwards used to go out in the. I, I just reminded of it. Kind of remind me as I've thought about it over the years. Edwards he used to go out and he, uh, in nature, and he would you know, he mm. would really you know know his heart, and I think mm. that was like the thing. Like if we know our heart and we're tending the garden of our heart well we're going to be able to really speak powerfully and helpfully like edwards did you know to to people and that that's just always kind of stuck mm. with me too so that's really good and I, I think what you're saying is really good that was a good pastoral word that was given to you is that we're all going to have tendencies you know we're, we're going to be drawn to one and the point of this whole conversation in the book is just to say hey you know whatever way or ways you're naturally inclined don't neglect the others you know i think for me you know i've been a scholar for a long time and so the kind of exegesis comes naturally i think it's kind of been phases honestly for me i think the the informational has been a big part of my life for a long time um the theological has been a big part of my journey for the last maybe 20 years where I had to kind of come to see the things I was saying that just doing like my informational exegesis reading wasn't enough. I needed help from theologians and others to read it well. But I've also been a pastor for a long time. And I would say, especially in the last, I don't know, 10 years when I've been preaching a lot, that has really that emphasis on helping people really, you know, just know know the Lord. I mean, I just don't want to, you know, share more than I should, but I'm very involved in a lot of people's lives pastorally in difficult marriages and um, difficult situations with children and, you know, suffering uh, illnesses. And, and that's a big part of my life is just being with people. And so that transformational aspect of scripture is always very present as well. Like that's not you know, that's ultimately where I'm trying to live for people, yeah. you know. I think this is, well, you're bringing up a really good point because I think this is where, especially those who be more informational, they would be more, you know, um, unfortunately, a lot of reformed people mm-hmm. um, or whatever. We we tend to be really good at, really yeah. good at sound doctrine, okay? Totally. We really are. It's important. But, right, yeah. but I even have friends that would be super, they're super smart, but they would tell you I lack in the application area. So, mm-hmm. you know, how do we take that? Give us some, you know, guidance on that. How do we, you know, in the midst of the suffering and the pain and the hardship, the discouragement, the anxiety that, you know, you deal with every day, um, you hear about and uh, how do they deal with that? You know? Yeah. Like, so personally or pastoral, I guess maybe either. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Both. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do. There's so many. It's a really good question. There's so many things to say. I'll I'll just say that one of the kind of mantras or things I remind myself of and that I talk about from the pulpit a lot is what I call the principle of mirrors before windows. Mm -hmm. And that is that whenever we're reading scripture and and whenever we're scripture, but actually when, especially when we're like, we find ourselves upset about something and maybe it takes a while, maybe we're just being grouchy or something. And it takes a while to realize there's something underneath that. So there's some agitation. So whatever the agitation of your soul is, and people are going to tend to respond to lack of peace or agitation with, you know, either fight or flight or sometimes freeze. But so, you know, personalities are going to respond differently, different situations might respond differently. But whatever it is, whenever you see that agitation in your soul, 
to use that as an invitation, as an invitation from God to use it as a mirror before you use it as a window. And that is to say, what, why am I upset? What's going on inside of me before I say, what's wrong with this situation or what's wrong with that person or what's wrong with that doctrine or what's wrong with that, you know, that always mirrors before windows is such a good practice. Um, and I'm getting that. I'm just changing the metaphor from Matthew seven and Jesus talking about the plank and the speck uh, that, you know, we, the the spec inspector, the inspector, if you want, <laughs> uh, is one who is focuses on using the Bible in situations as a window onto what's wrong with other people or what's wrong with other situations, what's wrong with other doctrines. And, you know, ultimately, there are times and places where that needs to be the case. But Jesus' point is there's plenty of work to do before you ever even get there. And that is that interior work of paying attention to your own heart, um, paying attention to that plank of wood, that beam of wood <laughs> that's in our eyes. So um, I think that self-awareness um, goes a long ways to reading the Bible, uh, not, you know, in a way that it weaponizes it against other people or agitates you against other people, culture or whatever, but to say, hey, this is first a word to me. You know, this is a word for me because God loves me and he wants me to come into fullness. He wants me to find life and life abundantly, as Jesus says in John 10, 10. And that's only going to happen when I do the interior work of really paying attention to what's going on. So I don't know. There's a million ways I could have gone with that answer. I hope that's helpful. Or you want to follow up on that? Or No, yeah. yeah no, that's good. I think uh, another thing just to kind of relate, uh, touch on that some more is, you know, I remember one of my mentors, he said in his, in his office at the church, he said, you know, I just sit here sometimes and I have to deal with difficult people all the time. And I'm just praying, Lord, help me see that person through the eyes of the chief shepherd. I'm very... It was actually an offhanded comment, but I'm telling you that that thing, mm. that statement smacked me up over the head. Yeah, it's really I, good. I, at that time, I was struggling with dealing with difficult people. Sure. And uh, to be honest, at that time, I wasn't praying for them either, which she was yeah. telling me you need to pray for them. For sure. And uh, so then I did. I started praying, and mm. um, and uh, it's amazing what happens when you pray for people. I don't, I don't mean that tritely. I mean really. Yeah. Um, it, it does change us when we pray for people. Really does, yeah. And it's one of the most. I think it was Calvin who said that intercessory prayer is a way to love people. Mm, but that's not that's a par the par. I think that's a paraphrase. That's a Dave paraphrase mm -hmm. of Calvin, right? <laughs> yeah, a Dave, a Dave a phrase. We'll call a it Davism. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. That's good. Yeah, that's really yeah. good. You know, um, I think a lot of people struggle. You know, with using the the resources you know that are out there. You know, you got Logos, and you have you know word studies or whatever. What would be your advice to you know somebody? You know, they're mm -hmm. they're digging in and they're starting to use those sources. What what are some, you know, you know, there's lots of ways that you could answer the word study alone, I know. Mm -hmm. But like maybe, maybe you could just use that as an example. So they're reading, there's a word in the passage that stands out. So they want to go to Blue Letter Bible, or they, maybe they have Logos and they look it up. How should they go about using that type of resource and then coming to the right? way of using that that resource uh in light of interpreting the passage if if that yeah it's a large i know i know that's a large i really okay. do know yeah. i really know that's a large question i know no, it's, it's okay i don't mind at all yeah, and um, yeah. i'll try not to give a large answer which is what i typically do um, <laughs> right right yeah you know what i think let me let me kind of pull back or, or go a level below that question that i think is really important to say and that is that as Protestant Christians, especially, 
we really exist in this um, dilemma, or maybe that's too negative a word, but in this cross-pressured place, which is that we value the Bible um, and we value the individuals and individual and community reading the Bible. Like we really value pers- a personal relationship with God as in the evangelical tradition that you know, largely comes through reading the Bible. That's why, you know, I've written a book like this to, to encourage people. This isn't, you know, written just for pastors or priests. It's written for regular people to read the Bible, right? So, but the problem is that kind of what we we're talking about with with theology and confessions and creeds with Tom, that that um, does exist in a little bit of a tension with the fact that we're not supposed to just do it on our own. And to change the language a little bit, One of the things I think is always helpful to remember from Ephesians chapter four is that God has given teachers to the church and apostles and prophets and others. But teachers is the one that probably we most focus on as an ongoing kind of um, function of the church. And so do you feel the tension of that? Like I need to be studying the Bible myself, but I am there's a crucial gift given to the church, which is teachers and pastors, but people who have the gifts and ability and opportunity and skills and desire to give themselves to deeper knowledge of the Bible. And that's okay. Like the, the, you know, we're not all equal, quote unquote, in the sense of our opportunities, gifts, abilities, desires to do that kind of in-depth of study. And that's what the gift of teaching is. It's people that do that faithfully and well. And so that tension is like, so you run across a word, you don't know what it means or something like that. I think the first impulse should be to get help. I mean, I don't mean by that we don't work hard at ourselves, but I mean, instead of like trying to reinvent the wheel, like with a word study or something where like, I'm going to trace all these examples of this word. Well, maybe that's helpful, but it's probably more helpful to actually go to a really good thoughtful resource by somebody who is a teacher. Maybe that teacher's dead. And that's what books do. <laughs> you know, teachers, books are just dead teachers, you know, and, and I'm still alive. So books are alive teachers as well. Right. But, but so I think probably the best, I mean, I the, depends on where the listener is, you know, but I think a good study Bible can be a really great start. Um, like everything resources are good servants, bad masters, you know? So like what I wouldn't want to happen with the study Bible is that you don't like try to answer questions yourself. You just go, Oh, well, my study Bible note says this, therefore, you know, and to over rely on them. But on the other hand, it's a good way in a kind of one-stop shop to get some of the more difficult questions answered. What does that mean that only be saved through childbirth, you know, to have, to have a little thing at the bottom of the page that gives, you know, maybe a helpful little comment on that could be helpful. But probably the general overall thing, whether you have a digitally or in physical copy, is just a good set of commentaries. And, and you know, because what a good commentary does, more important than a word study, more important than some other books, it'll help you when you're reading through the Bible to, you know, have someone who is a teacher of some sort that has wrestled with the whole book and thought about how to explain how this connects to this and how this connects to other parts. And to, I just think, use a just just use a good set of commentaries again through Logos or, and I know the question is going to be what commentary? Well, it's so difficult. There's a million commentaries. Commentaries have different purposes. Um, But yeah, I, 
I don't what, know. What would you, you say to that? Yeah. I, I don't know about. I don't know about you. Well, there's a lot of things I would say. I was I was actually talking to somebody about this question. So that, but but it's a commentary question. There's two real good places to go for people. I Tim Challies has a list of best mm. commentaries through the Bible, so you can Google uh, Tim Challies uh, book recommendations on Google, and then Ligonier has a, a a helpful explanation. They actually break it down: beginner, intermediate, advanced, and mm, I think nice. they even have it. I, I think he has a uh, Keith Matheson has it for every book. So you're not going to agree with every commentary either. Sure. but you know, Don Carson a, used to have these as well, like New Testament commentary. Oh. Yeah, it's been a while. I think. Oh yeah, yeah, out, yeah, yeah. They have it for yeah. old and New Testament too. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Those could be helpful. Yeah. yeah, and to kind of yeah, there's different there's different kinds of commentary. Some commentaries are more devotional, some are more technical, and that's good to know too. You know. So, I think that's a really yeah. good answer, though, that you gave, because, I mean, it can be overwhelming when you're when you're like I was talking to this person. They've been teaching the Bible for a while. So my answer would be a little bit different for that person mm-hmm. right. than for somebody that has been, you know, brand new. But I, I would just say, don't be afraid to, you know, dig in. And then if you have questions about, hey, uh, what does this like mean? You know, this word is using uh, is used in a different way over here than it is in there. And pay attention to that. Pay attention to the object. Pay attention to the to the way it's being used. And um, you know, yeah, I definitely good. at that, uh, I ask get some help. Like you said, I would say ask your pastor. You know, and for other get, get other people that know that are that are trustworthy. They're biblically solid and theologically solid, and they have some training. And so, but but don't I mean, be afraid. I, yeah. No good. Yeah, I was just gonna say, don't be afraid to dig in. But like for the average person, I, I I agree with you that I wouldn't say that the average Christian who you know is just digging into these things and learning these things for the first time, I would not, as you said, would not advise them to to go, you know, kind of below Long the surface. Or, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. go that go that deep. But you know, don't be also don't be afraid to go there. You know, as you continue to progress in your handling of God's word. Yeah. And, you know, one, one of the thing came to mind, if I might, um, yeah, go ahead. So I, one of the things I do at our church is I lead our men's ministry and then I work closely with our women's director as well. And so we actually, one of the things we do for the men and women in our church is we run these Bible studies, um, semesterly, like a 10 or 12 week study where we'll do a different book. Um, so we're finishing up first Peter right now in our spring semester. And what's really cool, we this just just this year we started doing that. The we do the exact same text in the men's and women's Bible studies separately, but every the same week, the same text. And so if you are in a romantic relationship or friendship with somebody, a spouse or somebody else, um, the uh, you know, you're even talking about the same text each week, which is really fun. But but what I really love about the way we have been doing Bible studies at our church, which is obviously not the only way, but I call it the tripod method. And that is that we use some kind of study book, like a, like a Jen Wilkins study or, you know, whatever it is. And, and it's actually kind of hard to find really good ones, but there are some good ones out there. Uh, you studied on your own. So like for the given week, you have five days usually worth of questions. And that's a good way to get to learn to study the Bible. It's like, you know, like Jen studies a lot of times will, you know, break it into five days and I'll ask really specific questions. Read this. What do you think this means? Look this word up, you know, so you study on your own. That's the first part of the tripod. The second part is then when we gather together, we have a teaching from, you know, a trained teacher. And so in my, in the men's Bible study, 6.30 Wednesday mornings, I have a six teachers this semester. So I teach a number of the weeks and, but then I'm trying to develop some other leaders and get some other voices in front of people too. So we have, we take turns teaching 
And so then you've studied on your own, you get to hear a skilled teacher explain some things. And then, and actually the largest part of it is we have a table with a, ta- a trained table leader who just facilitates the discussion that meets for the longest bulk of the time. Actually, it's 45 minutes for our pretty quick study. And they, um, you know, guide a conversation based on both the homework that was done as well as the teaching that was just given. And I found that threefold method a great way to study the Bible because you get the personal study, you get a teacher, God's giving teachers to the church, and you get the community of other people sharing, what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? And so it has just been super rich. Um, and I think if you have that kind of environment or could help create an environment like that, that that tripod kind of approach is really good. Yeah, that's really good. We we had uh, some the, the the day before we recorded this, the night last so last night, our uh, small group leader, who's also an elder at the church, our church here, he uh, he often just goes through basic things and just asks questions. But today, last last time, he had us look for key words and use the inductive, what we call the inductive study mm-hmm. method. So you're looking for key ideas and thoughts and terms, and then the key themes. And so we all came together and we all shared. And then he was like, hey, that was really good. And then, you know, so he was encouraging us to kind of do that together, you know, in community. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that was really good just just to bring that out. Another point, you know, I don't totally. think he was thinking in terms of what you do, but, you know, it kind of is a, it's sort of similar. And, and encouraging Yeah, we so much benefit when we hear other people wrestling with the text and learning from them, even if they're not like an official teacher, you know. Yeah, so. absolutely. Absolutely. Well, brother, uh, where can people go to find you on social media or otherwise? Yeah, yeah. So thanks. Um, yeah, Twitter, uh, Instagram, whatever. Dr. JT Pennington is what I usually go by. Uh, but my website, jonathanpennington.com, has a lot of stuff on it. Lots of um, sermons and other things that I've done and various things. Uh, I go and travel and speak a lot of churches or like a speaker request form. But I also have a podcast called the human flourishing podcast where we keep up to date my sermons on there i don't preach every week but then a lot of times i'll give lectures or talks other places and so yeah just jonathanpennington.com is a good place to to start if you want to kind of hear more of the stuff i'm doing and and uh, some of the other books i've written etc yeah that's great brother well um you know there's a lot that we could really dive into and we've really only scratched the surface uh, just as we round up the and end the conversation, do you have a few takeaways for those who listen or watch this show? Do I have some? Yeah, yeah. Or, or, yeah, okay, right. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry, no, it's that was worded. Yes, that's okay. Yeah, uh, well, I don't think it's probably anything entirely different than what I've said so far, but just to kind of reiterate the the invitation that God delights in his creatures made in his image coming into fullness and wholeness. And and that happens through studying scripture. It happens through relationships of love and kindness. It happens through suffering as well. And that uh, this book just plays a small part in, again, this invitation from God to say, hey, there is so much beauty and goodness in Holy Scripture uh, as a means to to knowing God more. And so I you know, hope people might benefit from, from it in that sense. So thank you so much yeah. for having me on here. Yeah, thank you. Um, guys, the, the book is uh, Come and See, The Journey of Knowing God Through Scripture by Jonathan Pennington, who we've been talking today. I want to encourage you to go pick this up. Uh, if you're a pastor, I encourage you to get your get at this for the people in your church. It will it will help them to grow, uh, even, even for the small group leader. 
mm-hmm. who may not know, uh, you know, the average Christian in the pew, they need some help. And uh, this book will definitely help. So thank you, brother, so much for writing this great resource and uh, serving the church. So thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.